Hey, welcome here to Big Valley Grace. Uh, over in the venue, blessings to all of you. Thank you, Brandon, for leading um, worship over there, and Pastor Tim for shepherding over there. Uh, all of you that uh, are watching online, woohoo, glad you're there with us, and maybe you're listening on the radio. Um, blessings to all of you. Hey, um, reach inside your program, everybody, and even online, you can click onto the deal and pull out your note sheet right here. Okay, everybody's got to have this in their hand, and I suggest you use it to maybe track uh, the message. Maybe uh, something will be said or whatever, and you'll need you know, a little space to write something down. Uh, we also include a daily meditation page that goes right along with this message, okay? So you can kind of keep your nose in the Word of God, at least uh, what we studied here this week. Also just want to say thank you, Eldon, over in the venue, and Dale, uh, two of our elders. And uh, I'll tell you, most of you don't really know who they are, but I can tell you they're just some really godly men. They, they love the Lord. They love His Word. And I think two of the things that I, I really love about them is that they're very humble men, there's a humility about their life that's really beautiful. And uh, I think because they love Jesus so much that that humility comes out. But they're also men that understand the grace of God. And that's something that to me is also very beautiful about, um, about these guys. And so thank you guys for leading us in communion. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Jesus said, follow me. And as I shared with you last week, I'm not sure that there are two more weighty words ever spoken. Jesus said, follow me. Now most of us have heard those two words. I mean, there was some moment in our lives, just like Matthew, we weren't sitting in a tax collector's booth. Maybe we were in church one day. Maybe we were uh, sitting in our bedrooms and our mother came in. Maybe we were at a high school camp or a junior high camp. Maybe you were at a Billy Graham crusade. But you heard Jesus saying, follow me, be my disciple. Now, you may not have heard it like that, but you recognized that you were a sinful person. You recognized that your sin had separated you from God. You recognized there wasn't anything that you could do to save yourself and that you needed Jesus Christ in your life. You needed to submit your life to him. You needed to humble yourself before him. You, you recognized that he was the king and you were but his subject. And so you said, yeah, I wanna follow you. I want to be one of your disciples. But what does it mean exactly? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? In, in other words, what's the job description of a, a person that makes the choice and says, I, I, wanna, I wanna follow you? Well, that's what we're gonna talk about here today. We're, we're gonna look at what it, it means to <clears throat> follow Jesus exactly or what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And the good news is, is that it's pretty easy to define because all throughout the word of God, Jesus himself laid it out. We get to look at the very words of Jesus as to what it means to be a follower of his or what it means to be a disciple of, of his. You see, Jesus wanted to make sure that everybody knew what they were getting into. Wanted to make sure that you really understood what it meant when you said, I'm gonna give my life over to you. Now, last week as I was studying for this message, for whatever reason, I was looking at this great moment when some uh, guys were following Jesus from a distance. And Jesus turns around and he asks them a question. It's really, it's a great question. In, in John chapter one, it says, again the next day John was standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist has some disciples that are with him. He's got these two guys with him. And he looked at Jesus as he walked, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following. And Jesus said to these two disciples of John, 
What do you seek? What do you seek? And in my vivid imagination this past week, I just imagined this scene. John the Baptist had a number of disciples, people that followed him, people that um, he was training, he was teaching them. But John the Baptist kept saying, hey, listen, there's coming a day when you're no longer going to follow me. You're going you're, you're, you're to follow the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And that day finally comes, and John the Baptist looks at these two disciples, and he says, hey, there's the guy. That's the Lamb of God. And so in my mind, I, I, I picture these two disciples going, whoa. And I, I don't know, maybe they were, you know, scrambling around, hiding behind bushes, but they were following Jesus. They, they were probably a little nervous, scared, didn't know what to expect. And all of a sudden, Jesus turns and he looks at them and he says, what do you seek? What do you, what do you want, guys? And I think that's a, a question everybody kind of has to wrestle around with. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know, what do you seek in this relationship? Why? Why is it that you've become a follower of his? What is it you're, you're hoping to get out of the gig? If, if Jesus were to turn around and say to you, what do you seek? Why are you here? Why are you following me? What, what would be your re response? I've been here for a lot of years, over 30, and one of the things I think is interesting is that a, a lot of people, they seek the benefits that come with their relationship with Jesus. That's what they want. They want the joy, right? They want the peace. They want the comfort. They want the compassion. They want Jesus to kind of meet all their needs. Now, they, they don't want a relationship. They just seek the bennies that come with Jesus. And maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe not. I don't, I don't know. I just know I've met a lot of people who simply follow Jesus because of what they might be able to get out of him when it's all said and done. The idea that he's the king and, and, and we're but his subjects, no, I, I, don't, I don't live that way. I'm the king of my own life. I just want some of the great benefits that come with a relationship with Jesus. Well, here, here's the deal. I don't know how you might answer that question, but I do know what Jesus is seeking from those that want to be his followers or his disciples. And last week I shared with you three things that, that Jesus said are requirements for being his disciples or being a follower of his. And I, I just want to quickly go over them so that those of you that weren't here last week, at least we're all on the same page, okay? Number one, a follower of Jesus, a, a disciple spends time with Jesus. And that, that, that makes some sense. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, anyone who wants to be my disciple, if you want to be my, my disciple, you want to follow me, here, here it is, you must follow me because my servants must be where I am. You see, back when that was written, they didn't have the New Testament, and so what they had to do was, you actually had to be with Jesus. You had to actually hang out with Jesus. You had to spend time with Jesus. And what Jesus was doing was, he had these people that were learning what it meant to be his followers. They were learning what it meant to be a disciple of his. And the only way they could learn what Jesus wanted them to do or what Jesus didn't want them to do was they actually had to be together, right? I mean, that makes make some sense. And one of the first things that you need to understand if you want to follow Jesus is you got to be with him. You got to hang out with him. You have to know what what, what he's into. You need, you need to know what he wants you to do with your life. You need to know what he wants you to stay away from in your life. The bummer is he, he's not here today. He's at the right hand of the Father. So how do we spend time with him? How do we learn from Jesus? How are we discipled by Jesus, mentored by Jesus? Well, there's only you know, a few ways, but the primary ways we have to get into this book, right? This is how we spend time with Jesus today. A disciple is, 
is, is constantly looking in the Word of God, learning from Jesus. Okay, Jesus, this is what you want me to do with my life. Oh, okay, Jesus, this is what you want me not to do with my life. I, I get it. A disciple, a, a follower of the Lord has to be somebody that spends time with Him. That, make, that makes sense. Another way we spend time with Jesus is through prayer. Times when we're just talking with the Lord. We're, we're, we're just being with Him and allowing His Holy Spirit through the Word of God to speak to us. It's one of the distinguishing marks of a follower of Jesus is that they spend time with Jesus. Number two, a follower of Jesus, a disciple, must love Jesus more than anybody else. And once again, that, that makes some sense. Listen to what the Bible says in Luke chapter 14. A large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around and he said to them, if you want to be one of my disciples, here, here we go, just the very words of the Lord, you must hate everyone else by comparison, your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Loving Jesus supremely is really important to God. God doesn't want to be number two. If you're going to be one of his followers, then, then Jesus is going to be the one that you love supremely. Not your spouse, not your children, not your grandkids. Jesus was crystal clear. My disciples, they hang out with me, and I'm number one in their life. Another way you might put it is, um, uh, Jesus said that the greatest commandment was that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the greatest thing you can do with your life. In other words, he's got to be number one. And by the way, I told you last week that when he's number one, it makes the love that you have for your spouse that much more beautiful, that much more rich. When, when, when God is loved above all else, it makes the love that you have for your children that much more beautiful, that much more rich. That comes first. Let me tell you something. Nobody, nobody ever divorces when both couples have Jesus as the supreme object of their love. Nobody. Nobody's ever gonna come into any of our offices here or any other church and say, you know what, I love Jesus above all else. Well, so do I, but you know what, we're done. <laughs> you know, people try to pull that off. Jesus said, my disciples are gonna love me above all else. Doesn't mean you don't love your spouse, doesn't mean you don't love your kids. But there's a pecking order, if you will. And he's number one. He's number one. And then number three, the last thing I shared with you last week was that a follower of Jesus, a disciple, must love every other disciple. John 13 says, Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is an important thing to, to Jesus. That we as his followers, we as brothers and sisters in the Lord, that we get along, that we love each other, that we care about each other. This might be the second greatest commandment. Love others the way you love yourself. See? See that? You know, the idea is, is that Jesus Christ hung on a cross for your sins and mine when we were but sinners. We didn't believe in God. We were atheists. And a lot of times we were hostile to the things of God. And yet he still died on the cross for us. He still gave up his life for us. And the thought here is, is this. If I could do that for you... Well, you ought to be able to care about each other, even though there may be some weirdos sitting around you. 
They say that every third person is just weird. And so if you just look over and go one, two, three, if they look normal, you're it. You're, 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 you're the one, you know? I, I don't know how it works. <laughs> and God says, hey, look, I, I get it. But if you're gonna be my disciple, you're gonna love me supremely, but you're also gonna love the rest of my family. See, that's an important thing. That mean you have to hang out and you know, do life together and all that, but there needs to be a, some sort of camaraderie be, be, be between disciples. All right, n- n- number four. And by the way, if you want to uh, you know, hear the whole message last week, you can go online and download the DVD or the CD for free, or if, I don't know, two or three bucks is burning a hole in your pocket, you can go out to the Resource Center and actually purchase the DVD or the CD and listen to the whole thing. But here we go, number four. A follower of Jesus, a disciple, must have a heart to always do what Jesus tells them to do. And now we're gonna bore down a little bit on number one. It's one thing to hang out with Jesus, right? That's an important thing, to hang out, kinda, okay, this is what you want me to do with my life? Okay, these are the things you want me to stay away from in my life? Okay, that's great. Now the next thing is is to actually do it, have a heart to do it. In John chapter eight, Jesus said, to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Beloved, a a disciple of Jesus is someone that always has a heart to do what Jesus tells them to do. They have a clear understanding of the hierarchy. He's God and we're not. He's the king, and we're but his subjects. And somebody who's a disciple of Jesus has a heart to always do what Jesus tells them to do. Now, it may not make sense a lot of times. It may not be popular. It may cost you something. But when God tells you something to do, it's always the right thing to do. Look, there's a lot of things in the scriptures that I don't like. You know, Jesus said, Rick, you're one of my disciples? Yeah, okay. I want you to pray for your enemies. <laughs> that didn't make any sense to me. It's, it's illogical to me. It doesn't feel good to me. And Jesus says, Rick, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you feel about that. I don't care whether you think it's logical or not. My disciples do what I tell them to do. They have a heart to do that. And so because the king has told his subject something, I often find myself praying for my enemies. Last week I shared with you 2 Timothy chapter 3, which says this, all scripture, the Bible, all of it is inspired by God. In other words, it's God breathed. God supernaturally through the power of the Holy Spirit spoke to, to, to the writers of the Bible and they pinned in their own personality the, the very words that God wanted pinned. And the Bible is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. This is the tool that God uses to mentor us. This is the tool that that God uses to help us learn what it is he wants us to do with our lives, what God wants us to stay away from in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it, the word of God, to prepare and equip his people, his disciples, because remember, he's not here anymore, right? You, You can't physically hang out with Jesus. You can't physically spend time with Jesus. But you still need to be mentored by him. You still need to be taught by him. And so he left you this. Here here it is. This is the thing that I use to equip you to do the things that I want you know, you, you to do with your life. That, that makes sense. God said this through our brother Joshua, don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. 
meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in it. Then, after you were careful to actually have a heart to do it, you were careful to do what you've been you know, reading, then you will be prosperous and successful. And that word prosperous there doesn't necessarily mean um, uh, you know, financially prosperous. It can mean that. The chances are pretty good that if you live your life according to the word of God, you run your business the way God would want you to run your business, you're a man or a woman of integrity, and you live a life according to the word of God, you'll probably be prosperous financially. But it doesn't have to mean that. There's lots of ways you can be prosperous. I was with a, a guy the other day who has a beautiful family. He, 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 he's just one of these guys that punches in, punches out. Financially, he probably doesn't make a whole lot of dough. But I want you to know something. He's a man of character, godliness, holiness. God, he's so prosperous. His family is unbelievable. His kids are just off the hook, godly, salt of the earth kind of people. He's prosperous in some other ways, not necessarily financial. Uh, Psalms chapter 19 says, the teachings of the Lord are perfect. They give new strength. They're perfect. Everything in this book is perfect. It doesn't say that it's easy. There are lots of things that this book teaches that Jesus is going to ask of you that are not easy. And as I said, they're not going to be popular. You might lose your job over some of the things that Jesus wants you to stand for. You may not be invited to the best parties. You may be ostracized. People may call you names. People may look at you funny. But it's perfect. The Word of God is flawless. And what I want to do is I want to do a little comparison here for you, a comparison between a, a true follower of Jesus, a true disciple of Jesus, and, and an unbeliever, somebody who really doesn't believe, okay? Uh, a, a true believer, a true follower of Jesus loves God. That makes sense, right? I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple of the, uh, of the Lord, you're going to love God. A true believer delights in the Word of God. That they love the word of God. A, a, a true believer, a true follower of, of Christ longs to follow and obey the word of God. They have a heart to want to do it. Now, no one does it perfectly. There was only one person who lived life perfectly. That was Jesus. But a believer, a true follower of Christ, they long to follow and obey what the word of God says. And, and, and last but not least, they, they choose to follow God. They make that choice that not only am I going to spend time with him and his word, but I'm actually going to follow what he says. I'm going to do that. Psalms 119 says, I wish I were more loyal in obeying your demands. You see that? That's the heart of a true believer. That's the heart of a disciple. Uh, I just want to be more loyal, God, to your word. Because we recognize we don't always do it perfectly. But you can sense the, the feel there, huh? It, 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 that, that's what a true follower of Christ kind of has in, in their heart. I just want to be more loyal to your word. Psalms 119 goes on to say, in the night I remember you, Lord, and I think about your law. I find my happiness in obeying your commands. That's the heart of a true disciple. The, 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 the commands of God, the word of God, that's what, where their happiness is found. Psalms 119 goes on to say, how I love your teachings, I think about them all day long. That's the heart of a true follower of Christ. Now on the other hand, unbelievers, they don't love God. And that, that makes sense, right? Because I mean, they don't even believe in God. So the fact that you might be here and you don't love God, it's because you don't believe in God probably, right? I mean, that, that just kind of makes some sense. Unbelievers, they obviously don't delight in God's word. You don't believe this is God's word, and so why would you d delight in it, right? Unbelievers, obviously they don't obey or follow God's word. Why would you follow this? You don't even believe in it. Unbelievers, what they choose to do is just follow their own perverted wills. You don't care about the will of God. You don't even believe in God. And so what you do is you just kind of say, hey, look, I'm going to do what I want to with my life. 
Psalms 119 also says this, salvation is far from the wicked, for they don't seek your statutes. You see, that's the heart of someone that doesn't believe. They don't seek what God has to say. They don't care about what God has to say. Jeremiah 6 says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we're not gonna walk in it. (laughs) That's the heart of an unbeliever. You might be here today and you're hearing all these things from God. You're seeing God's word. You heard God's word being proclaimed in songs, and Dale came up, and Eldon came up over in the venue, and read scripture to you, and, and, and here it all, all this is, and you're going to walk out here and say, you know what? <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to live it. You heard it. I'm just giving you the words of Jesus, but you're going to walk out of here and not do it. I'll never know. But God knows. Your children will probably know, right, Mom, Dad, if you choose not to live it? You might be here in church. But they watch you. They know whether you're living this thing out. They know whether you have a heart to do this. They know. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. Some people gathered around him, Jesus, and said, how long will you keep us wondering about you? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I told you already, but you don't believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name show you who I am, but you don't believe because you're not my sheep. And then he says this, my sheep, they listen to my voice. Now, obviously, Jesus isn't here physically, so we can't hear his audible voice, but he left us his word. My sheep, they listen to my voice. I know them, but they not only listen, they actually follow me. They actually pull it off. They actually have a heart to do it. One of the distinguishing marks of a follower of Christ is not only do they get into this book, but they have a heart to actually do it. Jesus said this in John chapter 14, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. Does that need any commentary? And that kind of makes some sense. I mean, don't say that I love you. You're number one. And then you're not going to do what I say. Because if you can walk out the door and not do what I say, you don't understand who you are in relationship to who I am, God says. (laughs) He goes on, and he says this in John 17. He's praying. And he said, I showed what you are like to those you gave me from the world. They belong to you and you gave them to me. And they have obeyed your teaching. Now they know everything you gave me comes from you. I gave them the teachings you gave me and they accepted them. In other words, they had a heart to do them. They had a heart to live them out. Jesus knew we weren't gonna do it perfectly. But his disciples, his followers, have a heart to do it. They accept them. It may be hard. It may not make sense. It may be illogical. You may get fired from your job. You may not be invited to the right parties. It may not feel good to do them. But you accept them. That this is the word of God, and I have a heart to to do them. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 2. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. We can be sure. How you can be sure that you know Jesus isn't because you said a prayer. A prayer is good. I said a prayer. But it's not the prayer that will demonstrate to you that you truly are one of his followers. It's your obedience to the word. There was a time when I prayed. 
Now, I didn't know anything about the Bible, so I wasn't very obedient. I, was just, I just kept living however I was supposed to live because I, I hadn't been discipled by the Lord yet. He hadn't mentored me yet. I didn't know enough about what was in here to know how I was supposed to live, how I was supposed to talk, how I was supposed to treat others. All I knew was, you know, whatever I knew. But the more I read, the more I hung out with Jesus, the more he discipled me, the more he mentored me through his word and through prayer, prayer guess what? I longed to live out what the scriptures taught. And I can look back on my life now and go, you know what I mean? I know I'm a, a, a follower, not because of a prayer, but because I long to live out the scriptures. You, we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, he goes on to say, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commands, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. Well, those are brutal words. Do we have that verse? Don't we have that? Put it up on the, on the jumbotrons. That's 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Can you find that? It goes on and says, but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That's how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. That's kind of the heart of a, of a follower of Christ. John goes on to say in chapter 5, loving God means obeying his commands. Now look, I, I realize it takes time. Okay, it takes time to, to, to learn the, the, the scriptures. I want to give you seven things just real quick, seven disciplines that I think will help you really get a grip, a better grip on what God has to say for you in your life. And the first one is this. There's a lot of spiritual disciplines. I'm just going to give you these seven, okay? Number one, daily scripture reading. You have to have time when you're actually with the one that you follow. Got to spend time with him. It might be a few minutes uh, at breakfast with a cup of coffee and, and a bagel or whatever. Could be a few minutes at lunch. It might be at dinner time. But you need to get into the Word of God every day. It doesn't have to be for an hour. It doesn't have to be for half an hour. Man, you, you can have an enjoyable time with the Lord in five minutes. Just You got your coffee in the morning, just read the Scriptures. You got to have a daily times when, when you pray. All throughout the day, just communicating with the Lord, remembering him. No, nothing will remind you of the Lord other than communion, than prayer. Every meeting I have, if you've ever been in a meeting with me, one-on-one, -on -one, any of my staff comes into a meeting, every meeting, and I have many throughout the day, we always begin with prayer. We begin by remembering who's the most important person in the room, and it ain't me. We remember that it's God who lives within us. It's his voice that's the most important voice. It's his words are, that are the most important words. It's his wisdom that we need, not mine, not each other's. You need to have weekly worship, consistent giving, accountability relationships. It could be a small group, men's ministry, women's ministries, whatever it is. Serving within the church, reaching those outside the church. And I know some of you are going, oh man, seven, I can't pull up seven. Well, let me give you an assignment. Pick one of them. Just pick one and let me give you the one. Number one. Just do that one. Forget about the rest of them. If you can only make it here once a month, you know, to, to, to church, that's okay. Pick the first one. Because if you'll spend time daily in the word of God, the other ones are going to work themselves out. So you spend time with the Lord daily. Just make that one. Just say, I'm going to make a commitment to that one. N number five. A follower of Jesus, a disciple, must serve others unselfishly. In Mark chapter 9, it says this. Jesus, he, Jesus, sat down and he called the 12 disciples over to him. So he's got his 12 guys there. He's now, he's helping them. He's mentoring them. He's teaching them. Here's what it means to be a follower of mine. He's got them all around, right? Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. 
That was so countercultural back then, but it's even more countercultural today, isn't it? Man, we live in a time when, man, it's all about us. Me, 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 me. Serve me, serve me, man. I'm important, right? The thought that you would serve somebody else? And yet Jesus says, you want to be one of my disciples? That's fantastic. Here, here's the gig. You have to serve others unselfishly. You have to have a heart to serve others or the second greatest commandment, right? Love others the way you love yourself. Care about others the way you care about yourself. Serving is a critical component in your spiritual journey. Being a, being a follower of Jesus is way more than just reading your Bible or whatever. It's about serving. L listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any one of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. Some of your Bibles say you must deny yourself. <laughs> and just reading that verse, your, your flesh gets all wrinkled, doesn't it? Deny me. Man, your flesh loves itself. Your flesh is just the headquarters of evil. That's where it lives. Your flesh likes to be served. Your flesh wants you to, you know, be important. And so Jesus comes along and says, okay, here's the gig, disciple, follower. It begins with denying yourself. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, the scriptures say. And then Jesus says, here's the deal. You're going to have to take up your cross. And some of you aren't really sure what that means. The cross was the way the Romans killed people. It was, the, it was their method of capital punishment. It was a sign of pain and, and, and sorrow and and, and sacrifice and torture. And I'm sure when the guys are all huddled around drinking their coffee, hey, we're with the boss. And he said, deny yourself, guys. Well, I don't know. Take up your cross. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is getting serious now. What do you mean? What Jesus was saying is, disciple, you have to be willing to sacrifice, maybe even to the point of death for me. And let me put it in a modern day context, and this will shake some of you up. If Jesus were here now, he would say, hey, if you want to be one of my disciples, you want to be one of my followers, you have to deny yourself, you have to take up your gas chamber, and you have to follow me. You have to take up the electric chair and follow me. That, that, that's how we kill people today. That, that's our method of capital punishment. Back then it was just the cross. A lot of people died. That was just, like I said, the way the Romans... That, that was their method of capital punishment. And so what Jesus would be saying is, you gotta be willing. You, you may end up in the gas chamber. You may end up in the electric chair. You, you may end up dying for the faith. Now, we don't have to worry about that here in America today. You don't have to worry about losing your life. You're not gonna have to go to the gas chamber, you know, uh, or whatever here in America today. I think that day's coming. Could come from my children, maybe, my grandkids, if God doesn't come back. But today you don't have to worry about it. But the point that Jesus is making is, you want to be my disciple, it's, it, there's a sacrifice involved. So don't worry about dying, disciple. But it is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice to serve others. Let me tell you something. <laughs> there are people right now that are sacrificing so that you can be in here right now and worship the Lord. They're, they're holding your babies. They're watching your children. They're partnering with you right now, teaching your children some great biblical principles. They're not in here enjoying this. They're not out having their lunch. They're sacrificing for you so that you could be in here. The, the, the band. They just don't show up five minutes for this gig. 
They sacrificed for you. They were here long before you ever got here. In fact, they were here long before I ever got here. They rehearsed throughout the week. Why? Because they understand that being a disciple requires sacrifice. Serving others. There are people right now, and um, they're sacrificing for you in that they're walking the parking lots, making sure bad guys don't bust the windows and steal whatever's in your car because that's what bad, evil people do. They know you're in here for an hour and a half, and so they show up in the parking lot, kick open the window, and steal whatever's in there. But you know what? They didn't go home after last hour. They understand what it means to be a disciple. Sacrifice. And they're doing that for you right now. And that is one of the distinguishing marks of a disciple, is that they sacrifice. They're working hard to deny themselves. They're taking up their, their gas chambers. And they're saying, God, I'm willing to sacrifice for you. I want to be a blessing to other people. I want to be a blessing. I want to serve my church somehow. And you need to find that place if you don't have a place. The Christian life is more than just coming and sitting in a comfortable chair, looking at the back of someone else's neck for an hour and a half, and leaving, and not sacrificing anything for anybody else. Some of you don't even sacrifice. Man, when the offering comes around, that's when you get up and go to the bathroom. I had to have ushers. I want ushers to go into the bathrooms from now on to do this. <laughs> there'll, be a, there'll be a whole bunch of guys who wouldn't know what to do. Your, your wallet hadn't come out of your back pocket ever. But you sure love that chair, don't you? You love the air conditioning. You love the children's ministry. You love the parking lot. You love the music. You love, you love it all. But there's not even a sacrifice of a shekel. You wouldn't do that. Jesus said that his disciples serve others faithfully. That's what they do. Matthew chapter 20 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And you ought to circle those, those two phrases, to serve and to give. Jesus said, I came to serve and I came to give. And those two phrases might best describe what it means to be a Christian. To serve and to give to serve the Lord, to serve his people, and to give up of your life, your time, your energy, those kinds of things. And last but not least, I'll, I'll, number six, a follower of Jesus, a disciple, must share the good news with other people. In Matthew chapter four, it says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing their nets into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me. And right out of the gate, he's going to give them one of the great characteristics of a follower of his. And I will show you how to fish for people. Beloved, the very first thing Jesus tells these guys is that if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be one of my disciples... You gotta have a heart for reaching lost people. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus gave us a little taste as to why he left the glory of heaven and came down here to planet Earth. It says this, for the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save what is lost. And then we read this in John 17. Jesus is praying and he says, Father, as you sent me into the world to seek and to save the lost, I'm now sending them, my followers, my disciples, into the world. You sent me into the world to seek and to save the lost. Now it's their turn. I'm passing the baton off to them. Because my followers are fishers of men. They try to reach people with this incredible, beautiful message of hope that Jesus came to bring. Now let me, let, let, let me, let me say this. The last thing Jesus says before he leaves planet Earth and goes to be with the Father is he has his disciples together and he says, listen, this is what I want you guys to do. I want you to go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. That's what I want you to do. 
Go. Now, what we do here is every so often we have these big events where we say, don't go, just come here. Bring your lost friends here, right? And we'll have a special thing, Christmas, Easter. You know, we'll pray for them. We'll write their names down, put them on a wall. We'll pray together. We'll go to the wall and pray and believe. And you just bring them here, and, and, and I'll do it. I'll give it my best shot. But here's the thing. Jesus said, go. And I want you to understand something here. The disciples, you, we gather together for an hour and a half a week. All of us, the disciples, come together for an hour and a half. We're all followers, most of us. We're disciples. We all come together. And this is an important hour and a half. We fellowship together. We laugh together. We pray with each other. We hear the word of God proclaimed. We're singing together. We're giving. This is an important hour and a half when disciples gather together. But there's 168 hours in a week. You're here for an hour and a half, which means the church gathers for an hour and a half. Disciples gather. But then they scatter for 100 and whatever it is, 66 and a half hours. The rest of the week, you, the disciples, scatter to your neighborhoods. Some of you are going to scatter out to the mall. Some of you are going to scatter out to a, a restaurant eat. You're going to scatter to the park and fly a kite and have a picnic. The church spends the overwhelming majority of its life scattered. Disciples scatter everywhere. And tomorrow, you as a disciple are going to get up and you're going to go to Macy's and you sell clothes there. And so God has a disciple at Macy's who's selling clothes. Some of you are attorneys, and, and, and as a disciple, you're going to go to the courthouse, and you're going to try a case. Some of you are, are, are truck drivers, and so one of God's disciples is going to go up and down the whole state of California, the church. Some of you are long-haul drivers, and a disciple of the Lord is going to scatter, and next week you'll drive all the way across the United States. What are you? I know people that are pilots, and Monday, a pilot, a disciple of the Lord, is going to get into a jet, and that disciple is going to scatter literally to other countries. And then they'll be back here on Sunday to gather. See, we, God's disciples, spend the majority of our lives scattered everywhere. And Jesus says, look, while you're scattered out there, you be salt and you be light. Being salt and light in here, it, you know, that's kind of, <laughs> it's salt and light out there. The, the, the world is decaying, and you're called to be the salt, the preservative, Christian. The world is dark and is getting darker, and God says, wherever it is you scatter throughout the week, those 166 and a half hours, you be light. You be prepared to share the good news with others. You, you. This is a beautiful moment when the church comes together, all of us as disciples come together. We need this. I need this. But then, boom! The doors of the church open and you get out to your cars. Jesus said this in Acts chapter one. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even the ends of the earth. And I want you to notice, God doesn't say this. God didn't say, hey, disciple of mine, will you, will you please be, be my witnesses? Will you consider it? No. The king of the year in verse doesn't say that. He says, you will, my disciples will go and preach the gospel. And guess what? He's the king, and the king can make a declaration like that. He's the God of the universe, and he can make that declaration. You will be my disciples. There's no, hey, let's talk about it. Let's, you know, let's discuss it. He didn't say that. So this is what I want everybody to do. Over in the venue, stand in here, stand up real, real, real quick. And I want us to say these six things out loud together. And by the way, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, this is supposed to be only a two-week series. 
but it, it, it's being stretched into, into longer. So next week, if God doesn't come back, we're just going to continue to kind of look at th these kinds of things. Here we go. Number one, a follower, a disciple of Jesus. Let's say it out loud together. Number one, spends time with Jesus. That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, that, that just makes some sense. Number two, a follower, a disciple of Jesus must love Jesus more than anyone or anything else. And he's the God of the universe, so that, that's kind of a no-brainer. Uh, number three, a follower, a disciple of Jesus must love every other follower. Mm. No, that one, I know. I get it. Number four, a follower, a disciple of Jesus, must always do what Jesus tells them to do. And that makes sense again, doesn't it? One of the things you've got to love about the Bible, how Jesus communicated to us, is he kept it pretty simple. Number five, a follower, a disciple of Jesus, must serve others unselfishly. There was a day Jesus puts the towel around his waist and he's beginning to wash the disciples' feet. He's serving them. And you know who was around that table? Judas. And he knew Judas was going to blow him off. He knew Judas was going to betray him. And he gets to Judas' feet. And he doesn't stand up and go, you know, you're a loser, man. I ain't touching your feet. You're not really a follower of mine. You haven't been nice to me. Kind of. You know what he does? He washes his feet. Wow. Next time you don't want to serve somebody because they made you mad, that person made me mad. Said something mean to me. Just think about that moment in history when Jesus washes Judas' feet. And last but not least, a follower, a disciple of Jesus must share the good news with others. Father, thanks, Lord, for this time that we've had to be together. And may these things rattle around in our minds, God. May those that are true believers of yours, true followers, true disciples, God, we don't always do these things right. And somehow, God, would you help us maybe pinpoint some areas that we could use some work in? Father, thanks for your goodness to us. And I pray this in your name. And all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Okay, live for Christ.